Uh, I've worked in adoption. I've worked with survivors of sex trafficking. Um, and I, what I saw as a common theme was trauma um, and working with people. And that the reality <clears throat> that we've all, we see that's broken, it's our boundaries are also our way of saying, I can't take on all of that. And I, I need to move back and realize what I can and can't handle. So it's an ability to withdraw as well. Um, and then to protect freedom and to know that we, like I said, we do have control and we do have some freedom to be able to say, here's what I need and here's what, here's my voice, here's me voicing what I need from you. So boundaries 101. Um, the first thing I want to go over is the reality that boundaries are not, are not just something that we are innately born with. They are learned. They're learned over time. They're given to us within the first three years of life. We have a foundation for boundaries. Um, and so understanding your family of origin and what that might look like, whether it's a relationship with a mom or a dad or a caretaker, um, and knowing maybe you're a parent in the room, how have you um, invested in boundaries and, and teaching that and, and um, modeling that with your children as well? So we'll have a little bit of time to look over that as well. Um, I wrote no, like learning to say no, highlights the sin in others. And what that means is the reality that when we have, when someone asks something of us that we're not really willing to accept or to take, and we say no, there's this guilt that can come from it, right? Because what's happening is we're highlighting the reality that they may be crossing a boundary or they're asking us to do too much or um, they're giving us ultimately like this guilt trip that can sometimes happen. Evan was telling me that his um, mother had asked him to do something that was kind of above and beyond what they were expecting to do. And he felt this guilt of like, ugh, if I say no, this is going to hurt or this is going to hurt her or what are we going to, how do we like put up that boundary safely? But the reality is what we're doing is highlighting the reality that she's asking too much of him. Um, and so that, that ability to say no can be really scary sometime. We'll walk into that too. Um, and to know how to say yes and to say it safely. That it doesn't mean that you're saying no and that you're building up these walls that say stay out and you can't be a part of my life and who I am, but the reality that you can actually step into saying yes comfortably with vulnerability, but with also a lot of protection and knowing what is um, a risk versus what is a chance worth taking. Um, and then learning how to set limits on others, learning how... Um, we have the we have the ability to say here's what i need here's what i need from you and here's what i'm willing to do and here's what i'm not willing to do here's what's mine here's what's yours um, it's about responsibility there's responsibility to ourselves and the responsibility um, to others and for ourselves to be able to be for ourselves um, and to be responsible to others and then again, that good and bad out we talked about just a second ago. But um, one thing I'll have you do as an exercise here in a minute, um, it's called the bleep and peeps exercise. And I want you to think about the people that are in your life that are on your radar. Um, they might be close, they might be far. Um, to be thinking about who are the people that are pouring into you and feeding into you and around you. Um, and some of those could be potentially be toxic. Some of them, you know, there's that percentage of how much am I giving versus how much am I receiving from those relationships. And so we'll talk about that as well. So there's some problems that can come along with boundaries. Um, and it's not just our ability to say, our inability to say no, but it's also the people around us, um, our inability to set limits and people who don't respect them. So 
it's a two-way street, boundaries are. Um, we have to have the ability to be able to protect ourselves, but we also have to realize that there are people out there that, um, whether we want to admit it or not, and maybe even in the church, that have these different traits. And so we'll go through some of those as well. So avoidance is the first one. Um, an avoidant-type personality, and you might know this person, um, can say no to the good. They don't know how to receive um, help or ask for help or see the, even the need for their own help. They might feel like a burden to ask for help. Um, they withdraw when they're in need. They <clears throat> don't ask for the support of others. They're opening up um, to God and people is almost impossible. So when we're in a healing relationship and when I'm working with clients who have had a severe trauma and they don't even know how to ask for help, maybe because there have been so many systematic issues in their life, they're afraid to trust, they're afraid to um, step into the reality that they do need help. These are the people that we see as avoidant types. Um, they experience their problems and legitimate wants as something bad, destructive, or shameful, that it, it hurts to even ask for for a need that they may have, a basic need of whether it's food, shelter, clothing, or I just need someone to listen to me. I don't, I don't hear a whole lot of people asking that or speaking that out. It's vulnerability. It's scary to ask. And so that avoidant type might go to that rate. And then ultimately, it's kind of this idea of reversed boundaries, that they have no boundaries where they need them, and they have boundaries where they shouldn't, <clears throat> meaning that they will step into... Um, taking care of maybe someone else before they would care for their own needs. So compliant is the next kind of personality type. So they say yes to the bad. And what that means is they kind of have these like fuzzy boundaries. They don't really understand um, where the gate is around their house and where they're, um, whether the gate's open or closed. Um, they'll immediately be the person that's like, I don't care if we go to the movies and if we have to pay $400 for plane tickets and all of the things that you know we would just kind of want to do to please people. Um, they're their, your doormat type. Um, they pretend to enjoy indifference just to get along with people and to make people happy. Um, compliance are like chameleons, and like I said, they'll adapt to their environment. Um, they have, I call it the paralyzed no button. They don't know how to say no. It just doesn't work. And so yes is the immediate answer. And that was me a lot of the times too. Um, when someone would ask me, hey, can you do this for me this weekend? It wasn't even first instinct to think, what do I have going on? Um, am I going to have time for myself this week at some point? It was just an immediate, yep, I'll be there. And I probably had triple and quadruple booked myself by saying yes and not having that no button. Um, and taking on too many responsibilities just to set and set too few boundaries, not by choice, but because they're afraid. They're afraid to fail. You're afraid to let someone down. You're afraid that that person might shame you. Um, and so there's a lot of risk involved in saying no. Then there's the controller, that they can't hear no. So it's not so much that they can't say it, but it's the more the reality of they can't, like, I can't hear what you're saying to me, so I'm just going to keep pushing into. Um, there's a lot of manipulation in that and aggressiveness in that. Um, and then being able to respect others' limits. This is on the outside of it. So they're the people that are on the outside of your fence screaming, let me in, and like the little pig, little pig, let me in. Like, these are the wolves on the outside. Um, Resist responsibility in their own lives so that they can control others is a huge part of that. Um, have you ever felt like you're kind of being controlled by someone around you, whether they know it or not, or whether you know it or not? That control piece is a big part of this um, 
controller personality type. And then there's the unresponsive. And so stepping into that, um, not hearing the needs of others. And so not only are they ignoring a no, but they're also not even seeing the need that you have in front of them because all they can see is the mirror of the reflection of themselves. Um, They set boundaries against the responsibility to love. They have a critical spirit towards others' needs. And then that's kind of like self-absorbed, narcissistic um, personality type that you might see in someone who's an unresponsive type. So with that being said, this is kind of a graph shown of what it might look like in the people that are around you that you see um, that can cross boundaries. So if you have the boundary um, to be able to say yes, but can't um, hear no, so then you're going to be able to be the controller. Um, or you, you might be able to even place that. You could, you could say, who's my boss right now? Who's my 14-year-old son right now? Evan has a question. So you're asking, is this is this a personality type that like one specific person may have, or do we kind of all have characteristics of all of them? Yeah. Yes. So I think depending on where you are in your life, you you probably have characteristics of all of them at some point. Um, <clears throat> but I think ultimately you can kind of start to place in the people if you started to like maybe may, make a list of the top ten people who are in your sphere right now that are closest to you on your radar, and then just start kind of labeli- labeling uh, different different personality types that you might see in them when it comes to how much are they giving versus how much you're receiving. So for example, for a long time, my relationship with my mom was 90% of me giving and 10% of me receiving. Um, And so when I look at that, I see her as a controller. She was easily manipulative and would say, like, I need time with you and why don't, why don't you move home and why do you hate us and why did you move to Colorado? And And just this, this picture of, um, her wanting, her wanting to try and connect with me and love me, but really not seeing herself at all, not seeing me at all and seeing my needs, but seeing um, herself and seeing the reality that she wanted to take control and to take, to take um, control over my thoughts and over my shame and all of those things. So I think this is more looking at the reality that, yes, we all have th- these different characteristics in a relationship that we, ha- that we have with everyone, but this is more about how can we, like call out and be aware of the people that are around us um, and the relationships that we have that are close to us to be able to start to identify, okay, here's what's happening. This is more of an awareness tool to look at. Okay? Does that make sense? So saying no, these are some of the fears that kind of come with the reality of saying no. It's, it's scary to say no. Um, that over strict or critical conscious, I mean, ultimately guilt to be able to say no to someone you feel guilty. Um, you don't want to hurt feelings. You don't want to um, feel like you're leaving that person alone or away from the crowd. Um, a wish to be totally dependent on someone else um, is scary. It's the fear of someone else's anger. Um, if you've if you've grown up in a house with you, that has angry parents, this is something that you might see as an adult as the fear to be able to say no. Um, the fear of punishment. 
Um, there's a lot of manipulation that can come in that too, and that's not necessarily a, a no. If I say no at my job to a to a role that they're asking me to do that I don't feel like I can feel, fulfill, am I going to lose it? Um, the fear of being shamed, the fears of being seen as bad or selfish or being unspiritual. Um, I know for a long time for me, when I took a sabbatical and stopped serving in every capacity that I was doing, um, one, it was scary because it had to redefine who I was, who, who am I when I'm not serving? But two, I had to realize that it doesn't, didn't mean that I wasn't a Christian or that I wasn't um, a Christ follower because I wasn't serving or because I wasn't fully investing. And in fact, it brought me even to a deeper sense of reality of knowing. Um, I had this, I had this kind of vision of a bucket. I used to be a lifeguard in high school. Um, and we had this big, huge, like if you've seen them at like lifetime fitness, those big, huge, like water apparatus, you turn a wheel and water shoots out in this thing. And then you fill up a bucket and it shoots out water and dumps on the kid's head who doesn't know that it's kind of about to come, you know? And so what I'd see in my life was this picture of a bucket that was continually being filled and dumping and being filled and dumping. And that became my life. It was just this, like, I'm going to be filled and I'm going to go to this retreat and it's going to be awesome. And then I'm going to come home and I'm going to tell my young life kids about it and my friends and I'm going to be tired after that, but I'm going to go back to this other retreat and be filled again. And it was just this constant picture of like filling and dumping and filling and dumping and filling and dumping. And God was kind of like, Katie, I think a sabbatical and what it looks like to actually rest in me and to take time and to have boundaries is that you would be rooted deeply enough in me that you wouldn't have this lever that just keeps dumping you, that you would be overflowing and the natural overflow of how you're being filled would serve others and teach others. And you're not even having to try. It just happens and it just comes out that way. And so that being said, knowing that I was taking time off and taking away actually made me more of a spiritual person and more of um, someone who could dive in and be rooted in Christ's love. So ultimately saying no, I love this bottom part, means that we believe that we are confident enough in who we are and our identity that we don't worry about the response from others. That if we have the ability to say no, the response from them is not going to be something that we're afraid of. Does that make sense? So limits. I love this quote. This is from um, the book Boundaries by Townsend and Cloud. But it says, don't even try to start setting limits until you have entered into a deep abiding attachment with people who will love you no matter what. If you've got an unconditional love source, whether that be God or whether that be a husband or a family member or someone that you just know is going to be there to listen and say, I don't care where you are. I don't I don't see the brokenness in you. I see your heart for who you are and can pour into that. Then it's so much easier to step into limits and to be coached through that and be encouraged through that. Um, I said, my people picker is pooped. Um, and the reality that it's easy for us to step into relationships and to step into brokenness when we don't realize and we can't see the red flags of boundaries and people overstepping and asking too much of us or um, we don't have trust or we don't have good attachments like it said in that first quote from the beginning. And we'll talk about kind of how um, boundaries are formulated. Um, so our deepest need is to belong and to be connected, to be in a relationship and to have a spiritual and emotional home. And so if we don't have that from the get-go, if we don't feel that, I mean, I've worked with kids who were um, in the foster care system and their initial response was, you know, I, I wasn't wanted. I know what it feels like to be adopted, but I also know what it feels like to be rejected. And so that attachment piece is so big um, in the world of adoption, in the world of um, 
trauma and to, to know that there is a spiritual home and there is this, like a, a place of belonging and a desire for that, that, that we were created for that, um, is a huge part of being able to set limits and, and actually stick with them is a whole nother story. <laughs> so we set limits and we can risk losing a relationship. If we actually set them up, we have two options. We can set it up and we can risk losing a relationship. So if we say, you know, I don't think I can talk to you at this point in my life. I feel like I've got, you know, this thing and this thing going on. Or, you know, I don't, I don't have the space to invest in you like you should. Or however you would say that. Um, you may risk losing that relationship and that can be really scary for some. Or you can continue to say, we don't set limits and we remain a prisoner to the wishes of someone else. So we're putting ourselves in this like bondage piece. Um, right below where we set limits and risk losing a relationship, it says, it asks, am I secure enough without that relationship or without that connection? Um, I'm not asking you to go um, through your contact list and erase everyone that you didn't want to talk to or to start calling everyone and saying, I don't think we can do this friendship anymore, but to really start to evaluate, okay, who are the people that are, are equally yoked in my relationships and in my life? Who are the people that are equally investing as much as I'm giving, I'm receiving? Um, and how can I um, know that the people who aren't going to be, like whether it's, you know, uh, the four-year-old that's at your table every night at <laughs> dinner that needs, 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 you can't really release that relationship, right? They're your child. But you know the ways that you have to be fed in order to feed that person. So that's what we're going to talk about a little bit more. Um, because we have a safe and healthy relationship with others who breathe life into us, because we have connections and people who are pouring into us and feeding into us, then we're able to get back into those maybe coworker relationships or um, community relationships that would suck the life out of us so that we can continue to feed and that we can continue to um, pour into others. And then the last part, by not setting limits, we become prisoners to the desires of another. So it's easy to say, eh, I'll just forfeit that for the risk of this relationship and keeping it and keeping you happy. And it's like running a marathon without any break. <laughs> so you have to be able to have that being fed in order to feed analogy. So this is kind of the how our boundaries developed. And I was talking about the first three years of life. That's, this is a big part of it. So Bonding and attachment will start there. Bonding is our deepest need to belong, to be in a relationship, and to have a spiritual and emotional home. And this happens from the moment of conception um, with the mother and child relationship. And so we see a lot of that when I worked with the Department of Human Services. Um, we'd have kids who had poor connections and poor attachments, not necessarily because they couldn't connect to a foster or adoptive parent, but because from the moment of conception, mom was stressed and there was different things that were going on biologically in the home. And, um, and the stress of the mom was actually exactly the, the brain stems and brain chemistry of the baby. And so a mom who is stressed, whether she was going through grad school or in an abusive relationship, we see that just the brain chemistry of bonding and attachment happening even before the child's born. Um, attachment is the foundation of the soul existence. And when the foundation is cracked or faulty, boundaries become impossible to develop. So <clears throat> when we lack a relationship and when we lack connection, we have nowhere to go in a conflict. And so boundaries are going to be crossed. When we're not secure that we're loved and we know our identity, that we have that as our root, then we're forced to misunderstand limits. 
So boundary development, starting with your family of origin and looking at some of those things. And I'm not going to go into a deep therapy session with you today, but to start and think about who are the relationships that you started out with? What was your relationship like with your mom or dad or caretaker, grandpa, uncle, whoever that could be, could have been for you. Um, and then how have they shaped who you are today? And so we'll start to talk, kind of dive into that for at least the first three years and even up into adulthood. So separation and individuation um, is part of that as um, all throughout life. It's this connection of I know who I've, where I've come from, but I also know who I am. Um, so we'll start there. So separation and individuation. So starting as an infant, it's that gaining a sense of internal safety and attachment. It's the baby's need for autonomy and independence um, as it emerges. And so separation is the child's need to perceive herself or himself um, as distinct from, from the caretaker, from their mother. So what is mine, what is not mine? Um, and that individuation part of it is the child developing while separating from the mom. So saying, like, I see you and I need you, but I'm also, I see this and I want to play with this. And that, that connection and that separation. And I'll give you some examples here in a second of what that looks like. But that, quote, you must first determine who you aren't before you discover the true authentic aspects of your God-given identity. You have to know who you are before, aren't before you know who you are. Um, so for me, this hatching kind of portion in my life, I'll give you kind of some examples of this, but that caretaker and me aren't the same um, happens when you're anywhere from like three to eight, uh, eight months and that's the awareness of everything that's going on in the world. Like, do you see how large babies' eyes are? Like at church when you're maybe walking around and they just see other people, it's just like, Wah! everything is awesome. Um, and they're learning the world around them. And it looks, it's this exploration phase um, and touching and tasting and feeling. And that's an oral fixation. Like everything goes straight into the mouth, right? And so we're learning what like the world around us is and how to take it all in. Um, and then still the being dependent on a caretaker and knowing that you're, you're in need of that person and that they're the ones who provide for you, but not wrapped up in a closest. There's, there's this kind of point where they start to get down and they can be on their own and they're, they're rolling around and they're out of the womb. And so there is this separateness as well. So for a parent who's never really hatched themselves, um, separation can be painful, but it's necessary for the child to actually go through hatching um, they long for closeness and neediness and dependency from their baby. So when you can see where boundaries start to be an issue. So for example, in my relationship with my mom, I was the third out of three children, so the youngest. Um, and the reality was my mom um, really wanted to have connection and wanted deep, deep connection with someone. And so I became that for her. And once I hit a point where I said, do itself, <laughs> it hurt. And it was hard for her to let go of that. And our relationship was immediately like transformed because of the way that she started to, to just show body language, the way that she was afraid to connect because I was doing it myself. Um, and as a three-year-old, that's kind of a lot to take on. Three-year-olds aren't supposed to like be grown-ups quickly, right? <clears throat> so to be able to um, start to recognize your family of origin is just to think about the relationships that you've had with parents and with family and to say, okay, so where did that go wrong or where did that um, change or shift in my story? Um, and then the, lot, the second one is practicing that I can do anything mentality that little kids have. So from t 
10 to 18 months um, and returns later in life. We are learning to walk and begin to use words and explore a little bit more. Um, and it's this kind of, the, these are the kids that once you put them down at the park, they're gonna like deck it for the slide or right in front of um, the kids who are on the swing set and get pummeled in the face. Um, that I, I can do it and I'm, you know, just omnipotent. Um, and this energy that they have, I mean, kids are crazy, right? Like bouncing off the wall and so much energy, but that's that phase of I want to, I can do anything and the kids have to go through it. And so as a parent, to be able to support that, it's knowing that they're going to be in that phase and to be able to support it and let them jump on the bed, but to be there right there to have the boundary to say, not over here and not over here because you're going to fall. Um, and they need that. And instead of the parents, it's like no jumping on the bed and too strict of boundaries. And then we have kids that are afraid to do anything. Um, people stuck in this stage can be lots of fun. This is kind of the adult phase until you pop their bubble about their unrealistic grandiosity and their irresponsibility. These are the people that have no impulse control. They might have, um, crazy spending habits or, um, decide they have uh, crazy sexual desires. There's, I mean, there's a lot of different pieces that go into that, but the reality is if that's not something that has been supported in the first couple years of life, then we start to see that as an adult. And then reproachment that I can't do everything and kind of this reality of, um, <laughs> the prodigal son returning and being like, I screwed up. Um, and so this is, this happens as a three-year-old, um, anywhere from 18 months to three years old, that reproachment is a French term for a restoration of harmonious relations. So meaning that the child will come back to reality and becomes anxious and aware that the world's really scary <laughs> and, um, they still are in need of a parent. So the toddlers that are obnoxious and oppositional and temperamental and downright angry, but these are the boundaries that they're learning through it. And this is how we can support as a parent. And so think about your own story. And is this something that was supported for you? That when you were angry, were you, were you corrected or were you allowed to feel angry and empathized with, um, when you said that's mine and stole it back, were you corrected or were you able to say, yes, that's yours, but let's also learn to share, um, were you able to, to say no and to have that actually be embraced um, by parents? I think that's the first word most kids start to learn, and it can be really annoying, but it also gives kids the power and authority to have boundaries from the get-go. So all that to say, by three years old, the ability to be emotionally attached to others, yet without giving up a sense of self and one's freedom to be apart from themselves or from another they also have the ability to say appropriate no's to others without the loss of love. So even as a kid, um, when you say no or when you do something wrong, there's that reality that sometimes we have timeouts. And we, we, I've actually done so many parenting classes that I hate the word timeout. We do time-ins now. When kids are misbehaving or when they're, when they're hearing the words, um, you know, no from a parent, it's almost this like withholding love that they can receive of like, when you, when you can get your stuff together and when you can be a family man, then you can come back to the table. And it's this boundary issue already being crossed of saying you, you're not understanding me and you don't see me as a kid and my reality of my tiny little brain, but also, um, you're withholding love unless I behave a certain way. And now I have the power and authority to, to, to like have 
emotional control over my parents, that they're going to love me if I behave this way, and that they're going to reject me if I don't. That's a huge um, weight that a kid would carry. So that's where we see a lot of other boundary issues um, for that start in childhood and move into adolescence and into adulthood. So all of that to say, the ability to take no from others without withdrawing emotionally is a big part of that too. Um, And all of these come back in adolescent and young adult years. So those first three years of life are pivotal, but we're going to see them cycle throughout adolescence and young adult years um, and reenactment of the first years involving more mature issues. So sex and dating and um, marriage and life and work and all of the different things that we start to see as an adult or as an adolescent and choosing what I want to do and who am I and what does that look like um, all start with this root of um, the first three years of life. So... Um, we also have boundary injuries. So withdrawal from boundaries or that withholding, um, like we just talked about, that you're lovable when you behave or you aren't lovable when you don't behave, that um, children of parents who withhold or pull away when a child misbehaves grow up to be adults who are terrified that setting boundaries will cause severe isolation and abandonment. So if I tell you or if I, if I misbehave in front of you and I hurt your feelings and you withdraw from me, then I'm afraid to ever tell you how I feel again or to ever be vulnerable again, or to ever risk again. Um, And then there's a hostility against boundaries that is another boundary injury. Um, Parents become angry at a child that attempts to separate. So this was my story. Um, Once I learned to say I'll do it myself, my mom gave up and stepped back. And then I was doing way too much on myself and taking on the world as a three-year-old. And the reality of that like healthy parent who is attached and has had the ability to hatch can actually feed into and pour into and make a healthy child where when there's hostility against the reality that I want to say, I want to do it my own and let me be a kid um, and learn and try um, instead of having that dependency on my mom, it offended her. And so there's that, that reality that I had to be aware of in my story. Um, boundary injuries, part, you know, part of understanding boundaries is that if we've had trauma in our life or if we've had to, um, be around maybe too strict of rules or boundaries or have the lack of limits or inconsistent limits that have been modeled to us by our parents. Um, sometimes our own character traits and our own sin are a part of the boundary, um, injuries that we have in our lives. And so just to be able to be aware of those things and to take note of that, um, what it looks like to step into boundaries and into self-care um, and how I can transition into self-care is the reality that if we don't have healthy boundaries, if we don't know what we are going to allow in our house, then we can't allow ourselves to be involved in self-care and to take care of ourselves. And so so these are some of the realities that I've stepped into um, post-graduate school and realizing, oh wait, if I want to be the best social worker or the best daughter or the best friend that I can be, then I can't keep feeding off of a dry well. I have to be fed in order to feed. And so what's that looked like for me is one, to realize that it is doable. I didn't want it to be, like, especially in the, this helping profession, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or a teacher, um, they, they take this like casual Friday attempt to, be, to do self-care for you. Like, if you just wear jeans, maybe that'll make you feel better. You know, and that's not the reality. Like, we live in a world where we need to be poured into and to be um, fed in order to feed. And so... 
um, for me to take time off for an entire summer um, and to go backpacking and to be um, surrounded by people that I knew loved me and that could pour into me and actually be selfish enough to say I deserve that was a huge, huge thing for me to take on because most of the time I was like, yeah, I don't have time for that and it's going to cost money. And just to say, no, like if I want to be, if I have this desire and vision and goal to be the best that I can be, that I need to invest in myself and to be poured into. Um, it's that ability to love your neighbor as yourself and that, that in order to serve, you have to be fed. Um, and that being equally yoked, that 50-50 give and receive, some of those relationships that we've talked about, um, it means um, to what you're asking us to do, to be able to be fed by you, to be able to rest in you, to be able to know who we are so that we can be fed in order to feed. God, teach us who you are in us. Teach us the desires that we have in our heart to be able to invest in others and to be able to pour out. But God, just like the bucket analogy that we have, that you would be the one that roots us so deeply in your love and in who you are, that we would be able to just be poured into and naturally overflow um, by what we're learning and how we're serving. Um, And it wouldn't be this dumping effect that we have, but just this natural overflow of being able to give and to serve and to love because we're rooted in you. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.